0: Really good to have you here and uh, i'm going to invite you as we continue to follow jesus in the book of mark To open up the bible and get into the book of mark we're going to be in chapter 12 this morning And we're going to be looking at the end of that chapter verses 41 to 44 And we're following jesus as he's about to lay down his life for us It's interesting that 40 percent of the account of jesus in the book of mark is about his last seven days of his earthly ministry here on earth. Isn't that interesting? Seven, you have one week, 40% of the material on the life of Christ in the book of Mark is on those seven days. And so there's something that's happening. He's, they're sharing all these experiences. And at this spe- specific time and place, he's at the temple and he's calling out it was the temple that he, when he entered Jerusalem, he cleared out of all the money exchangers because they were ripping people off when they should have been calling people to worship. He he also made a comment about the temple that, that the builders rejected the cornerstone. Jesus is now our cornerstone. He's the one we build our faith on because he's the one who did for us what we can't do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross and he rose from the grave. But the religious leaders rejected him and now he's our foundation. He also gave warnings to the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. And calling them to turn from their ways, turn even from idolatry and how they've done that at a temple that was supposed to be the worship of, of God. And yet, we see him now at the end of this chapter in Mark chapter 12, we see him watching someone. He's watching someone give. It's interesting. Why would Jesus look at this? Why would Jesus, Jesus notice this? And why is he concerned about our giving? Because Jesus knows the heart, right? And out of the overflow of the heart, the hand gives. That's how it works. And so let's look at it. It's in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 41. He said, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is fascinating, isn't it? Um, Before I get into the text, let me just tell you about the place Jesus was in. Right now in Jerusalem at the Israeli Museum, there is a one to 50 scale model of the, the the city of Jerusalem around the second temple period, the time of Christ. And right central, right in that whole model, as it was in the city, was the temple. It was the temple mount with this now being the temple structure proper. And if we can zoom in on the court of women, which was that area right in here. This was the court of women. And right inside here was where people were giving to the offering boxes. Some commentators believe Jesus was up here uh, looking down at people giving. We don't know. The text doesn't provide that. But he noticed something. He noticed a woman who was a widow. Here's kind of a, a picture of it putting in her offering. And if you can take a look at that receptacle there, it looked like a horn. And there were several of these offering boxes. People would throw their offering into that that, uh, that that kind of horn. And it was like a trumpet, which would announce in celebration generosity. Now, it's interesting because if you were wealthy, if you were wealthy and you had a lot of coins, it would sound like this. It would sound like that. And so it was really easy, in an environment like that, to know who had and who didn't and who wanted to announce how much they were giving. And it's interesting that in the midst, in the midst of all this noise, uh, if you've ever been to a bank or even a grocery store that has one of those coin collectors, you hear this going on. But Jesus, amidst all of the clinging and clanging, Jesus just heard that. Just heard that. Two copper coins put in by a widow. It's interesting. We would have never caught it if we were even there and listening. But Jesus could see it. He could see a woman touching him in a crowd to be healed. And he saw a widow giving out of her poverty to god what did she give what did she give she gave what's called a two lepta a lepton was the smallest greek coin in and and mark even translated this for his roman audience that he wrote to and called them quadrants but the lepta was the lowest value of any coin in circulation at the time of jesus that was 164th of a denarius and a denarius was one day's wage you would receive that And so it's interesting, Jesus would compare all the the great wealth that was given that day to two little coins, one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. We never know her name, but we do see her act. We do see the amount that she gave, and we see the attitude of her heart. And, And we remember her today. She's honored by Jesus. She's elevated by Jesus, this poor Weak, widow, woman. She's honored. By the way, on Legacy, are you okay with that? Are you okay if no one ever knows your name? But they've been impacted by something you've done in your lifetime, that will affect future generations. We've got to be okay with that. If it's going to be about Jesus in our lives, we've got to be okay without naming buildings after ourselves, taking a pew and, you know, putting our family name on it or anything, because it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about Jesus. We need to be okay with that. And Jesus kind of leaves her name out of the picture. We aren't even told that they spoke. He just called it and he honored what she gave. Now, this is really fascinating, isn't it? Because she pushes back on all, all the excuses we make for not giving, for being on the sidelines of giving, for being uh, just kind of passive with it. And it's kind of interesting that as I've been in 25 years of ministry as a pastor, I've heard more excuses on why people don't want to give. And, and usually it's people complaining or we can't talk about this. And I've heard a ton of excuses. But here in the passage, she gives us and she pushes back to our pushback on giving. Here's some pushback we give. Hey, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to give. And it's, it's the thought that Only those who have enough to give, who have more than their needs, should give, who have surplus, should give. We would never say this out loud, but it's a thought that permeates our mind and definitely affects our actions. It's this thought that the wealthy need to give. It's the wealthy, they have more, they ought to give more, and that's just how we work. If you don't believe me, play Monopoly. I love that game. I love Monopoly. My family hates that game because I always win. And uh, I try to go for the Monopoly real quick. I go for houses, move into move into the, the hotels, and you can see my family's heart rate going up as their little token comes around. And then it lands on Marvin Gardens, and why you owe me $1,250 and everything. And they're saying, pretty soon my stack of 500s look like this, and their stack of 1s look like this. And after a while, then I get Park Place and Boardwalk. They've mortgaged it and they trade it off and I buy it. And, and all of a sudden, we get to the point of, come on, Dad, give me a break. And I go, it's just a game. It's just a game. They kind of expect the guy who has it all ought to be the most generous. And the one who has the least ought to not give anything, actually get something from the wealthy. It's interesting. We use this. I can't, it's this picture of self justice. In a world. It's no one's fault. She was in that situation. But here's the reality. If anyone could tell us. They can't afford to give. It was a widow. In the ancient world. But yet she's giving. We would go. No, 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 no. Don't give that. Use that for you. You've got expense. She chose. No, no, no. Don't rob me of the opportunity. To give. She pushes back. Secondly. We use that the church doesn't need it. And we look around us and it seems that everything's, all our needs, all our ministry needs are met. I mean, after all, we have lights in here and the pastor is dressed. So everything looks like things are going well. But it's not just what's happening in this room. We look outside there and, oh, there's coffee and there's cookie. And boy, I'm glad a lot of people slept in today because I get more cookies, okay? And we look. We look at those things and go, "They don't need it." And on top of it, you're building something over here. You guys don't need it. You're doing just fine. And it is true that our our needs are met right now, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we stop giving because this widow gave to honor God. Not to honor a church. She gave to honor God. And the reality here at Fellowship Bible Church is we do need it. We do need it. If, if everyone were to stop giving within four months, we would have to close up. Because we don't stockpile cash. We spend it. We go and advance the kingdom of God. When you give more, we give more outside of this place. We say, yes, we'll live on this amount. And we'll we'll have, in these categories, we'll pay this much percentage, but we won't live above that, and we'll give 20% of everything that's given outside of this church. And we want to grow that percentage amount in the future. But it's all dependent on how well people respond. And you may have been a part of a church that had this huge endowment that some other generation funded current ministry. Boy, that's just not cool. And it's certainly not biblical I want to be the generation that advances the gospel through what we give. And if we don't give, the church ought to close up. It ought to. Because it's, it's, it's that whole picture of obedience and faithfulness to God in giving. But not only that, most commentators of this passage agree that the offering she gave was probably placed in the offering chest for the building of the temple. The temple was already built, but it was probably the maintaining of the temple. And the temple was this magnificent structure. The disciples pointed out in Mark chapter 13, Jesus, look at this huge edifice. Look at this beautiful, beautiful temple. Isn't this great? And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth. Not one of those stones of the temple right now will be unturned. Now, and you know, when I, when I traveled to Israel this past year... These were the stones. This is the temple mount. It was way up on top. There was the temple. Here are the stones that used to be the temple. By the way, those are people. I did not Photoshop this. This is not a play. That's how big those stones were. That when Rome ransacked the city of Jerusalem, they went up to that temple and they just smashed it apart and threw those. How they did it, I have no idea. But they threw those rocks over the side of the temple mount. Because it fulfilled what Jesus said. He wasn't going to be about a building. And neither should we. This woman wasn't about a building. Because she was honoring God. Temple didn't need it. God didn't need it. But she got to be involved in his work when she was generous. The temple was temporary. But her gift was eternal. The temple was a place for the nations to gather in worship. It was a place where people were forgiven, where they were restored, where they were blessed, where they were encouraged, where they could worship. That's the value of a place like this. But never lose track of it. Because someday, perhaps this building or even that building will look like that. Are we okay with that? But we've got to invest with what God's given us. In the lives of people. It's all about a people in a place that can change. That means something. Thirdly, here's another thing we kind of push back with giving is that God doesn't care what I give. I mean, salvation is free. It's grace. Give me grace. Don't worry about it. Don't talk about it. Don't mess with me. God doesn't care about it. But this passage shows us that Jesus sees it. He sees it. And he, he does care about it. Out of all the people there, Jesus sees someone giving and he uses it to to instruct us and he rewards her for this. Jesus honors her and she was a blessing back then to the disciples. So she's a blessing to us today because of this simple little act of taking two little coins, which represented everything to her and just went like that. It changes us. God does care and he does keep account. You know, that's interesting in Mark chapter 10, when, when Jesus was saying it's so hard for people distracted by riches to enter the kingdom of God. And that's true. We can get so distracted, whether or not having enough or having too much, that we're so distracted from seeing eternal values. Peter says, Well, what about us? We left everything to follow you. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one. Who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands? For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold? And he says it again. He calls out each one of those house and brothers and sisters, mother, father, children or lands. Why did he say it twice? I think he looked at each one of those disciples. He knew what they left to follow him. And he may have pointed at one of them, said it's mother, father, brothers, sisters Houses, land, hundredfold. See, God sees it; He cares, and He rewards those who give. Can I just ask a quick question? What does God say when He sees your giving? Okay, that's too convicting. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, fourth, uh, God hasn't blessed me lately. We can use this to push back with God. And this is kind of the picture. We kind of have this thought that I will only give when I feel God has blessed me or like I'm uh, or when he actually blesses me with what I think is a blessing. Boy, if anyone had this excuse, <laughs> it was a widow in ancient Israel uh, in, in a Roman world. I mean, she had no social security. She had no Medicare. She had no support. She lost her husband. She lost the support of his family. Uh, She may have lost her home and she might have also, we don't know this, had children. So it's kind of like, whoa, we would go, whoa, you're cursed, you're not blessed. And we would go, wow, why would you give to God? He's taken everything away because we can kind of think that God is out to get us when we don't think we're blessed. And yet you have someone who is of the lowest class, of the lowest income, liberating her life by giving. She saw, by the way, where did she get the money she gave? Widows usually begged for it. She, someone probably gave that to her. She didn't work for it. But she viewed the generosity of others to be the blessing of God. Now that's unbelievable, isn't it? We would probably discourage her from giving. She said, don't rob me of the opportunity. She saw it as an opportunity. Another area of pushback we can get is the, poor, the the church should give more to the poor or doesn't even have to be poor. We go, the church should just give more to these areas. And the answer is, of course, of course, we want to do that. But sometimes we act out. Now, I've been a part of a church my whole life, so I know organized religion and I know healthy organized religion. and I know unhealthy organized religion. And the reality to it is um, there's been times when I thought I could do it better. And we all should take responsibility for the people God has placed in our lives. We all, all be giving to people who have needs around us. Not just the ideas of the church, but around us. But you know what I've also realized since my experience here at Fellowship Bible Church is I've been a part of a major movement of generosity. I remember when we were 100 people, we gave $200 a month outside of our church. That's all we could afford. we were a hundred people. We were paying off the building at Seventeenth and Indian Hills. We were paying salaries to to me, and I was the only staff person here at the time and 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 it was we were just making it and it's fascinating how now, as we 've grown we're able to give. $40,000 a month outside of this church I remember Chuck Preston saying wouldn't it be awesome and he looked at our budget then if we could give $40,000 a year to the Lord and now we're giving it $40,000 a month outside of this church. We used to give 2% of our budget now We're giving 20% of our budget outside average church in America gives 2% of their budget outside of themselves So yeah, all of us can do things individually But I've just seen when a movement of people gives, that's fascinating. Wouldn't you like to have a budget, a personal budget that gave 20% of your income outside of your family to help people to advance the kingdom of God? See, we want to lead in a way as a church that if you followed it personally, you would be a blessing. And if you gave 20% of your income outside of yourself, that would be a blessing. We can always give more though, right? We can all do that. So here's the reality. Then and now, this widow silences those on the sidelines. Instead of asking the temple to give to her, she gave to the temple and what God was doing in her life. And, And she calls everyone on the sidelines of giving. And as the lowest, the poorest, the weakest member of society, she gives the most significant, rich, and powerful lessons to us. The legacy of her sacrifice changes the way we think and it should change the way we act about giving to the Lord. See, this widow says every one of us can give. Every one of us can give. And when they do. She shows us four key transformations that happen in our lives. The first one is this. We move from an amount I give to understanding everything that I have is from God. Look at what Jesus says about her. He says, out of her poverty, she's put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is a huge sacrifice. But that's what giving does. It connects us to God, the source and the sustainer of all things. It connects us to the truth that God owns it all. Nothing we have is ours. We're stewards. We're money managers. And so it's not just the receiving of things in our lives, it's the spending of things in our lives that he calls us to. And you know, as I have given over the course of my walk with Jesus, I I have learned, Jesus has taught me that my life, my wife, my children, my house, my car, my career, my capacities, my position, everything is a gift from God, everything. I can't claim that I'm self-made. I'm, I'm God, uh, I'm God sustained. And you know what? I would have never learned this if I would have spent it all, if I would have been strapped with debt, if I kept everything or spent everything and give nothing. See, giving does that. It begins with an amount, but it always moves us to something greater in our lives. And the thing that we grasp so much, that we value so much in our culture, that we're measured in this culture by how much you make, how much you own, what who dies with the most you know, toys wins. No, just like Monopoly, it all goes into a box, folks. You will go into a box when the game is over. So we've got to realize we represent the author and the creator of everything. When we give, we move to, yeah, it's not just this what I give. It's everything that I have. She understood that. She got it. And she gave joyfully to the Lord. Secondly, this second transformation is a, from trusting the place I give to trusting the person who gives. You know, when we begin giving, we tend to give to a place, an organization we tend to think is doing a great job at something. But as we continue to grow in our giving... We realize that all of our giving is not about a place. It's about Jesus. It's about our relationship with God. And this woman is called out for giving to the Lord. And that's what we do when we give. We honor the Lord. We don't honor a place. We honor the Lord. The widow gave to God as worship. And as an opportunity, not an obligation you see, even in a mixed-up leadership structure of the temple, I mean, take a look at this. Jesus is calling out just a few verses earlier how wicked and how, how the, the leaders even stripped widows of their homes. I mean, so strong language against the Jewish leadership. But at the, next, at the next moment, he's saying, look at this lady she gave to the Lord here. So Jesus holds leadership account- accountable for how they spend the money that's given. Jesus just holds us accountable to give to God. And that's what we need to be concerned with. Do you know the leadership of Fellowship Bible Church, the elder board is responsible to the Lord for the good spending of the resources that God provides here to us. You're just accountable for giving. Because you don't give to people, you don't give to the elder board, you give to God and what he's doing here. Jesus called out those leaders for it, but she was responsible for the giving of it. And when she gave, God honored her. Third transformation that happens is, is a movement from last and leftovers to the first and best See, there's a resistance to giving. And when we start, we don't usually have the faith of a mature believer. When we start, we kind of go, oh, I don't know if I can trust you with this. Or, Lord, after all my bills are paid, whatever I have, you know, a portion of whatever I have, 10%, I'll give 10% of what's left over. And we do that. Or we look at our wallets and we go, okay, what's 10% of what's in my wallet? And we give that to the Lord. And it always starts as kind of lasting leftovers. But what happens as you're in the practice of giving is you really realize it's first and best. God deserves my first and best. Because it's not about an obligation. It's about an opportunity to this. It's not about the law of God or a a righteous requirement. It's a ritual or anything like that. It's about loving God. When we love God, we give. And when you love someone, you give them your first and best, not your last and your leftovers. Take for granted this. My, My wife and I... My wife and I have this issue with flowers, because at my previous church, it was an older church, and it was a larger, older church, a lot of people were dying, and there were a lot of funerals, and with funerals, there's flowers. And this whole group of old ladies would come in. And after the funeral, any of the leftover flowers, they would come in and they would take them apart and they would put them into vases and they would, these were awesome flowers. I'm sure they cost someone a hundred, 200 bucks for these things. And they would make up occasionally, they would make up these vases of flowers and they would bring them up to the pastor's office and said, take this home to your beautiful bride and give this to her, you know. And so I would drive those flowers up to my wife, drive up the mountain to go see her but I wouldn't tell her they came from the funeral flowers okay <laughs> so I was just like this awesome husband who walked in and said hey how you doing I love you here's the flowers and then that old lady had to blow it for me because she went <laughs> up to went up to Cheryl and she said did your husband get the flowers I got you and I went shoot busted and from now on, it's been, hey, where'd you get these flowers when I get those, okay? Okay, no one died. I didn't do any dumpster diving. I went out and paid for these flowers. There's something about giving, giving people we love our first and best. They just don't feel that special. It's just not that great environment. It's not that experience for us. Because you know what? I knew. I knew they were leftover flowers. And when the truth came out, it wasn't a great experience. (laughs) We want to give our first and best. It may start at last and leftovers. We've got to begin somewhere. But, But see, everything in the scripture calls us to our first and best. God is the only God. He gets our first, not our last. He gets our best, not our leftovers. That transformation happens when we do this. Sacrifices are noticed and they're appreciated more Some of you grew up in poorer homes And when mom and dad stepped up and sacrificed for you to get an education There's not one day of your life. You don't look back and go. Thank you. Thank you for that You know, there's the sacrifices people make Jesus saw the sacrifice of this widow and honored it It's worship We proclaim his worth In worship. And finally it's a transformation of a habit of the hands. To the joy of my heart. She gave willingly and joyfully. And Jesus accepted that. And honored that. We wouldn't have heard it with all the clinging of other people around her. Announcing how much they're giving. But it was probably drowned out. But not to Jesus. He saw her giving joyfully to the Lord. Now, giving can be a habit. It can be a habit we just kind of do and we keep doing because that's what we've always done. But that's where it may start. And I would encourage it to be a start as a habit, not just sporadic, but as a habit. But eventually, something happened in my own life. The greater amount that I've been able to give, the greater percentage I've been able to give over the course of my walk with Jesus, the more joy I've had. The greater percentage I've been able to give of our income and Cheryl and I, the greater our marriage has been unified around what we're doing with, with money. You know how many marriages fight over money? Where it's going, what little, and they fight. And, and boy, whenever the pastor talks about giving, some heart rates are going up because we're, oh boy, don't give me guilt. This is not about guilt and shame. It's not about obligation. It's about just observing a widow in the scriptures who gave joyfully to the Lord and saying, don't miss out on the blessing and the transformation. Some of us that are really have our claws around around the next little gadget or the next vacation or the next experience we can have or the next pleasure moment we can have that giving's a threat. It's it's you you'll do it starting with fear. But The reality is, is the greatest joy I've had that's loosened my talons from things. And even liberated my life from the pull of this culture has been when I've given, when I've given. I've never regretted it. I can tell you a ton of, of financial investments I've made that I've regretted. I, I mean, I was in WorldCom all the way down to the plunge. I was in Enron. I was in AOL. For a, come on, Hishma. And I've had regrets on those, but I've never had regrets. In advancing the kingdom of God through giving, it's a matter of fact, you know, to participate with God in His church and to advance the gospel, giving not just inside but outside of His church, giving to people who will go and share it locally, like at NetReach, with with Topeka Rescue Mission, with Young Life, with places like the Bridge, and then places outside of Topeka, like in India. Or Trash Mountain Project. Or seeing the gospel advance in China and in Africa and in Indonesia. Places we're going deep. Places we're taking even money that we could use in construction. And we're building other churches around the world to be a blessing to others. I just look at it and go, no regrets. No regrets. And it's become the joy of my heart to give. It's one of the liberating things. Don't let anyone talk you out of that. Don't let the pull of this culture keep you on the sidelines. Don't even wait to get out of debt. Start someplace. Because these transformations require that to experience them, we have to begin. We have to begin. Because on the sidelines, we're not going to have this. It's just going to be about more things. It all begins with a decision, and that's why I'm calling everyone to respond to this. To make a decision to give something to God from your, out of your, out of your best and from your heart. See, every one of us wants to be generous, but we all benefit when someone is generous to us. Well, we can't be generous if we don't give. I want to just share a current reality here at Fellowship Bible Church. One-third of everyone who would call FBC their church home give faithfully something to the Lord. One-third of us do. And we provide the resources to do ministry every weekend, all 52 weekends of the year, uh, to do children's programs and students' programs. And then, even on top of that, to advance the gospel. 20% of everything we give goes outside of this church. And even on top of that, over these past three years, they've committed over and above that to help fund this expansion to make room for more people. It's phenomenal. One-third of all everyone here connected are giving faithfully to the Lord. But the other side of that is that there's two-thirds of us that are giving sporadically once or twice a year or nothing at all at any time throughout the year. That means if, if this is not what we want from you, but rather what we want for you, we're missing out. Two-thirds of us are missing out on the blessing of everything this widow had that she liberated her life by giving. Yet every weekend we're available to share Christ, equip believers, advance the gospel by making disciples of Jesus Christ inside and outside of our church. And you know what? If two-thirds continue in passivity on this, we'll continue and we'll do it joyfully. We will. And if you're part of that one-third, you know these. You could get up here and preach this message. You see, you're experiencing this transformation in your life when you gave. So it's really the two-thirds, folks, I will never know how much you give. And I do this for two reasons. I never want to kiss up if you give a lot. And I never want to kiss off if you give nothing. And pastors, most of us struggle with the second group. Because you're missing out. You're missing out. If all of a sudden, I mean, and that's the other value of our congregation. One of the things that makes this such a great place to be a pastor is when you see the need, when you see the vision of what God could do if you simply trusted him and followed him, and you, you respond to it. You've done it all the time. Whenever we've shared this, you've responded. I remember two and a half years ago, I shared this. And giving went up 40% in one month. 40%. How did we live? We continued to pay our bills, but everything above our budget we gave outside of this church or we even paid off the debt of this church at that moment. It was phenomenal. It was greater. I had written down how much we owed to the Lord and asked him, Lord, provide these resources. He provided above and beyond that to pay off that debt. So God can do this. And by the way, none of us need a raise because he's already entrusted us with resources. You may go, I'm in college. I don't have any money. And you can go, yeah, but Matt Kearney came out with an album last week. Do you have? Yes, I have it. He's coming to Kansas City in a few weeks. I'm going to that. Where'd you find that money? We will find whatever we want to do whatever we want. See, it's an issue of a heart. And so I can, without knowing how much you give, I can just be obedient personally to giving and call everyone in here to reflect the generosity of this widow and honor God, meet the needs of ministry and receive a blessing from God. So here's what I want to call you to. You've been given this handout and it's called Generous Givers. And on the front, uh, we talked about why should we give. We honor God, we meet needs and it receives a reward. But on the back, it says how to give. And I want to encourage you here. This is what I would encourage you to do. Number one, decide to give. Decide to give. Make make a decision in your life to give the first and the best to the Lord. Secondly, decide on an amount. This is where it gets crazy. But here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're married, get together with your spouse. Decide on an amount. Don't tick one another off by, (laughs) through, through giving. This is something that brings you together. But decide on an amount. Third, and by the way, it can be as little as $9 a week. The cost of two Starbucks. That's, I mean, that's, it starts someplace and God always builds on it. If, if you don't have a lot of faith in this, in, in God on this one, trust him with something small. But do that and then set it up. Set it up to give regularly. I call you to give weekly because I want you to worship weekly. None of us can be here every week out of the year. None of us can. I can't even be here. I take vacations every once in a while. I take a break every once in a while. Not from God, from preaching, okay? So I'm not always here every week, but I give so that my church can meet weekly needs. And so I give regularly here so that the church can do that. And I would encourage you, if you're just starting, give something. Start somewhere, but make it a weekly amount. So every week on your bank draft or you look at the bank there, you can say, I had the opportunity to give. And when you do that, celebrate. Thank you, God, that I could give. Lord, use these resources to advance your kingdom. See, this is not about an obligation. This is about an opportunity celebrate what God has done. And here's the deal. We just think about this poor widow. And we think about all of us who've been reached here today because of her sacrifice. All of us who've been called into this practice. And we're here today and we're here talking about this because someone who had very little trusted God with what she had. And as a result, our lives are blessed. Who will be reached tomorrow by your giving today? Now, we're not going to take another offering, okay? So everyone relax. (laughs) But the reality is, if you see the need of this, you will find a way. And to follow God in this area. And you, like the widow, will be honored and blessed to participate with God in advancing his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for calling us into, into receiving a blessing. So much, many of us kind of think what we'll lose when we give. And you've shown us everything that we can have when we give. So I thank you for that. It's a blessing And we thank you that we can trust you as the owner and the giver of everything in our lives. And we thank you for Jesus who laid down his life for us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.